everyone. Welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Great to have you with me for another episode. Hopefully you have been taking advantage of some of the latest and greatest announcements I've made about the show, including if you're watching this, then you already know this because uh, I announced that uh, I wanted to move the video version of this podcast over to the website. And so that would maybe, if you care to see me on camera, if you like watching the video version of things like this, um, that would give you a little incentive to go over to the website, betterbiblereading.com, so you could check out uh, the totally new look and some of the articles uh, that are on there, as well as a free course of how to read the Bible. And you can do it absolutely free. And I would highly encourage any of you uh, watching or listening to do that. If you're just listening, um, then you know that we still have the audio version of this show over on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google and all that stuff. And so if you just like to listen to this podcast as a podcast and not worry about watching, totally fine. Uh, You can keep doing that. But I do want to encourage you to go over to betterbiblereading.com because. Uh, you'll be able to take advantage of so many things uh, that you don't get to see or don't get to read if you're only listening to me via uh, the show release um, on the audio version. So anyways, hopefully you're taking advantage of that. Hopefully um, you enjoy the the resources that I've tried to make available to all of you. And so on the show, sometimes what I like to do is take a step back and give somewhat of a encouragement to you and maybe do a little bit of a personal check as well. Um, Lately, um, I have been thinking through a lot of big issues that are in the Christian world, uh, the Christian culture in America. Uh, It seems as if the issue of plagiarism has always been creeping up, and sometimes at more of an alarming rate than at other times. Uh, But what has really motivated me to to think about these kind of things is because uh, I don't know how many of you have made uh, use of this show, but I've really enjoyed it for the most part. There's a podcast uh, produced by Christianity Today. And it's been out for, uh, I don't know, a couple months now uh, on the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church. And it focuses on uh, Mark Driscoll, who was the pastor of Mars Hill Church there in Seattle. Uh, had over 10,000 members. Uh, they had multiple campuses, went beyond Washington to Oregon and, and just multiple states. Well, eventually the church collapsed, but what was significant about it was that Mark Driscoll was at one time the most downloaded pastor in the world in terms of all the resources that he had, and Mars Hill really became kind of like a high-production church. But the reason it was so like fascinating is because it didn't take the normal prosperity gospel route. It didn't take the normal kind of uh, consumeristic route either in the traditional sense of church branding and stuff. It had um, 
kind of a grungy uh, flair to it, if you will. Um, but most importantly, the church identified itself as Reformed and, and Calvinistic. Uh, of course, there's that terms used very broadly uh, for that church because they were charismatic. They were uh, very much in the contemporary trend, not the traditional. And so the, the term was used uh, loosely, but what it did was that church, because uh, Mark Driscoll's sermons exploded on YouTube and all of that, it really opened up uh, Reformed theology. And, and by the way, it was also a church that preached through books of the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament. And so it opened people up to a different kind of preaching than uh, what has been kind of the uh, tradition of America in the last uh, century, and that is to to get away from expository preaching, to get away from preaching through books of the Bible, um, and the dominating uh, voices of um, Christianity on the airwaves and on TV has really not been preaching through books of the Bible. It's been very like self-help oriented and those kind of things. And so this church was really counter-cultural, even not only to the world, but to the, the, the Christianity of the land. And so it was really like fascinating. It really took, took uh, hold of a lot of people. And really, that was uh, some of my first exposure to people who preach the books of the Bible, my first exposure to the notion of reformed and and Calvinism and those kind of things, and uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of bad in in that church, and that's kind of what the podcast is about. Uh, but there was also a lot of good, or at least it was used as a gateway for a lot of people, uh, including myself, to better, more historical forms of Reformed theology and Protestantism. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I uh, today have. Uh, landed in a Presbyterian church uh, in some ways because of uh, Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll in some ways in spite of. Uh, But anyways, the reason that that has been such a fascinating thing is because uh, his downfall was not because he cheated on his wife with somebody in the church or because he was found out that he's this crazy drug addict or something like that. It's just horrendous uh, level of controversy uh, because those are the kind of things that typically happen to uh, so-called megachurch pastors that, that lead to their downfall. But instead, um, it was this growing uh, intensity of abusive, domineering behavior. But one of the reasons that that behavior really became uh, broadcast and became front and center in uh, his ministry life was actually because of some issues of plagiarism that made him uh, creep up on news outlets and things like that. Uh, one of his books, for example, uh, was used um, as kind of an example of the kind of maybe uh, fake ministry or fake persona that he had because uh, what it, what became uh, publicized was the fact that some of his books were being uh, ghostwritten. 
and some of the content was found to be taken from other people. And even on top of that, what one of the things that came out was one of his books, I think it was Real Marriage, uh, one of his books you know, hit the top charts, but then it was later found out that through a series of kind of like financial steps, uh, the church was buying a whole bunch of copies of the book, which made it, you know, go up and, and top the charts. So you had kind of these like sketchy things happening in the backdrop. And what was fascinating for me is that, you know, growing up in the Southeast, totally divorced from uh, a real context of all of that. I remember, this is back in my high school years, I remember when, when Mark Driscoll was really prominent. Um, he had already written like a handful of books and or, or somebody wrote them for him <laughs> either way. And um, he was just very much like hovering in all of these different camps of, of Christianity. And so you had people who weren't Reformed that still like looked up to him. You had people that weren't charismatic that still looked up to him. You had people um, that didn't agree with a lot of his methodology looking up to him because whether you wanted to be Reformed, whether you wanted to be charismatic, whether you wanted your church to be um, really like branded and really get the... Um, the kind of consumeristic and, and identification of your church as as this entity and, and figure out how to market your church. Like, whatever kind of route you wanted to go, um, he seemed to be on the cutting edge of all of that. And so he, people couldn't help but um, take their cue from him. And so anyways, I remember um, in high school now, going uh, to church one day at this kind of prominent, almost 2,000-person uh, church, um, in Florida. And when the pastor started the sermon, he broke into this uh, evaluation of uh, cultural uh, perspectives of Jesus, pop culture perspectives of Jesus. And as he's like walking through this, I'm thinking to myself, because I'm, I'm listening to Driscoll uh, sermons, I'm you know, reading segments of his books. And as he's going through this, I'm thinking, you know, this sounds really similar uh, to something that, that Driscoll, uh, I've heard him say these things before. And by the end of the sermon, uh, I remember, uh, I don't remember if I went home or if I looked at it on my phone, but um, I found that what this pastor was doing was a word-for-word regurgitation uh, from Mark Driscoll's book, Vintage Jesus. And what was fascinating to me was that the pastor didn't give credit to Driscoll. Now, ironically, Driscoll is later going to get caught up in the same uh, controversy of plagiarism and other books that he wrote. Uh, but it stuck out to me that because, because those, that assessment was meant to be kind of comical um, it got people to laugh, and it got people kind of their guards down to listen to the rest of the sermon. Like it was an opening to the sermon. But it was fascinating to me that I knew it was coming from somewhere else, but probably most people in the congregation didn't know that it came from somewhere else. And by the end of the sermon, it leaves the impression on the congregation that 
people listening um, think that this pastor of theirs has come up with all of this himself. But really what he's doing is he's just using somebody else's material. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal? That's only an opening illustration. And until this whole controversy of plagiarism and all of this really has come into the Christian realm and all the fact-checking has come into the political realm over the last few years, before all of that, nobody really cared. And people expected you to just borrow or utilize whatever material in a sermon without having to cite things the way that people do in academics. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, fair enough if you want to make the argument that it's one thing to borrow material and not cite material in an opening illustration or maybe for shock value. But what happens when your entire sermon consists of that? You might not know this, but one of the things that really turned me off from the contemporary non-denominational church movement um, was not only, oh, it was really a whole host of issues, and I'm glad to say that as long as I was in a church leadership in kind of non-denominational church context, uh, none of the churches that I was at or none of the pastors that I was alongside ever ever did this. So I'm glad to say that this was from the outside looking in instead of an actual experience of mine um, as, a, as a leader in church. Um, but it wasn't just the, the church governmental structure, uh, such as what I see in, in Presbyterianism, that makes me gravitate to that today. But it was actually the kind of consumerism, the, the, the idea that the pastor is CEO, the idea that you structure the church the same way that you would structure a corporation, that the pastor is a bigwig, he's untouchable, like like. Tesla employees can't just walk up to Elon Musk, or Amazon employees um, can't just walk up to Jeff Bezos. Like that, you can't just gravitate to these untouchables because they're untouchable, right? There's this system of people between you and, and them. And a lot of churches have adopted that same mindset. That's a problem. But in my opinion, one of the even greater problems is when the idea of the pastor as CEO creeps in and begins to transform a church, what happens next is the philosophy of who the pastor is changes entirely. And because of that, the philosophy of preaching changes entirely. Now, why am I saying this on the Better Bible Reading Podcast of all places? Why are we talking about kind of a hot topic in Christianity? Well, the reason is because I hope that you go to a church. I hope that you belong to a congregation of God's people. I hope that you're fellowshipping with other believers. I hope that you have a pastor whom you look to, that you trust, that you uh, grow because of their ministry, that God uses them, that you're solid, that you're, uh, by conviction, 
belonging to um, the church that you belong to. I hope you're not trying to use this podcast and other online resources to replace uh, what is necessary in Christianity. That is the corporate aspect of it, that we are to pour ourselves out to others, that we are to have our resources um, associated with others who are pouring into us, this uh, body of Christ mentality. But I hope that you're not finding a church and not sticking with a pastor who has bought into this idea that the way that we understand the Bible is simply in that consumeristic framework. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes it is a secret, sometimes not so much. But do you know that, regardless if the pastor wants to keep it from the congregation or not, is a whole other issue, but did you know that there is such a thing as what we might call, in more provocative terminology, canned sermons? pre-written, pre-scripted sermon series. Did you know that churches can subscribe to a monthly fee? And in paying that monthly fee, they gain access to all of these sermon series. It comes equipped with illustrations. It comes equipped with graphics and logos. And so you can put them on your nice banner that goes outside of your church. So you can um, have this this theme applied to your entire series, all of your slideshows and everything like that. And it is marketed to pastors in this way. The hard work of sermon preparation is not something that you should have to deal with. You have people to care for. You have meetings. You have all of this stuff to worry about. So let us do the legwork for you so you don't have to. That's the name of the game. It's fascinating to me that a lot of people that go to these churches um, that are kind of like one of the ways you can identify them is they have these sermon series banners out, out in front of their church. and. Um, They're marketing the next upcoming series. They're marketing the current series that they're in. Now, some churches do make these from scratch, but a lot of churches don't. And what's fascinating is that um, the way that these are made is uh, in a way that's marketable, right? The sermons are, are handcrafted to be a certain length of minutes and no more. Uh, the illustrations, the graphics, the color scheme, everything is kind of worked through in a marketable way, the same way that companies work through to get certain results. And it's a dangerous game. But what's more dangerous is that most of these members of the congregation assume that the quote-unquote creative team of the church or the pastor all by himself has come up with all of these relevant things and has packaged them and is just on the uh, cutting edge of of cultural topics and just knows the 
the perfect word to give at the perfect time, and his illustrations are so powerful. What most people don't know is that these are uh, wrapped up, packaged, and canned sermons uh, that these pastors uh, are only just going through the notes. So they cease to become preachers, and they're just presenters. Uh, They're just uh, script readers. This is a dangerous thing to me. Meanwhile, most people in the congregation assume that the pastor has come up with all this himself, that this is the product of his careful study and, and labor. Now, if we're to take all of these things that I've just kind of thrown out, the whole idea of Driscoll, the the plagiarizing of uh, his books, the uh, use of his illustration at the beginning of another pastor's sermon. If we were to take all of this together and come to the bottom line, it's this, and this is how we relate it to the show. What you have, even though, frankly, uh, COVID has kind of like killed this uh, superficial movement of of church experience for for a lot of places and in my opinion that's a good thing even though that's happened they they still exist there's still a lot of them in in america the way that we relate this is this if you're going to a church that has redefined the office of the pastor and has excused the pastor from the careful labor and preparation and study of the Bible. Don't be surprised. In fact, expect that this secondary, that this putting the Bible from front and center off to the side or up on the shelf because other things are more important. Don't be surprised if that mindset begins to be communicated either explicitly or implicitly to the congregation at large. And that means to you individually. What we try to encourage each other with on this show, what we try to remember is the centrality of the Bible. We try to remember that the Bible is not something that we graduate from. The Bible is not something that becomes secondary in our lives or that becomes uh, dependent upon what our schedule looks like or where we're at in this moment. Or as if we can hunker down and study it enough in this concentrated season of life, then we don't need to worry about it anymore. Or that the the osmosis of scripture memory and all of that is enough for us uh, to not need to read our Bibles and not spend time in it anymore. Better Bible reading is all about more, not less. It's about fine-tuning, not throwing our hands up and saying, who cares? It's about feasting on God's Word and being fully satisfied, and yet, at the same time, always wanting to come back for more. This is not just a personal mindset of Bible reading or our view of the Bible. This is something that should be fostered 
and should be present in the church that we go to. And that means that it should be present in the pastor of the church that we go to. That means it should be characteristic of the kind of sermons that we sit through week in and week out. If we're going to a church that does not place a premium on the Bible, that does not place a premium on personal study, then we might be going to a church that has the monthly subscription where all of the sermon prep is done for the pastor. So presumably, he's not really spending much time in God's Word because he's busy doing the other things that this sermon subscription service has afforded him and freed him up to do. And that means he's coming into the pulpit or standing behind the podium with a very surface-level experience of God's Word during the week. And so why would you need to or want to or feel the urgency to spend any more time in God's Word during the week than he has? The mindset is important. It's subtle. It's almost subliminal. Because I don't think most of these churches, the leadership, when they decide, okay, we're going we're gonna to subscribe to this sermon series thing. We're going to uh, free ourselves up for more, quote-unquote, ministry. I don't think that their mindset is, let's diminish our regard and appreciation of the Bible, and let's make sure that our congregation does the same. I don't think that that's the mindset at all. But I think the problem is that they have bought into this mindset that the Bible is not the centerpiece. The Bible is only the springboard or the transition to other stuff. When we use the word ministry in this loose sense, um, this divorce from the Bible, I don't really know what exactly it is that we're talking about. And so what I want to encourage you is to take evaluation of what your church experience is. Music is a great thing. At this current season of my life, I'm the music director at our church. Like, like music matters to me. Uh, the music portion of our worship is very important. But if we're only going to our church because of the emotional satisfaction of the music and then the sermon is just kind of thrown in there because you kind of have to have it. We don't really care about it. We're just waiting for more songs. Is it any wonder that our appreciation of the Bible sinks lower and lower and lower? Is it any wonder that pastors are getting burned out in leaving ministry. We've made so many other things the main thing, and we've taken the main thing and thrown it to the side. And so this is not a call for you to leave your church, though it might be. This is a call to just encourage you that what we're doing should be in agreement with our other aspects of our Christian life, our time with our families. Is the Bible center there? 
We all have room to grow here. But the church we go to, is the Bible center there? Do we say that it is, or is it really? Does your pastor see himself as commissioned by God to teach the Word to you? There's a couple of things that I think about here. Uh, I could go to a whole lot of passages of Scripture, um, but maybe two of the most important ones would be Acts chapter 20, where Paul is giving his goodbye to the Ephesians, and he says to them that he didn't shrink from preaching the whole counsel of God to them. This gives a precedent for the role of the pastor to present the whole Word of God, which means that their ministry is, in a lot of ways, predicated upon a constant labor, a constant growth in Scripture. It's a very important point. Another thing that Paul says is to Timothy, when he commissions Timothy to be a good pastor. He says in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, this only makes sense if the main emphasis of the role of the pastor is supposed to be this emphasis on preaching the Bible, on laboring in the scriptures. This is what Paul wants Timothy to focus on. And it's what all pastors should focus on as well. One last one that I want to just mention, which is really fascinating, I think it makes the argument almost even more explicitly. That was from 2 Timothy. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what Paul says again to Timothy. Now, you'll hear a similar language, but this really drives the point home. Command and teach, this is 1 Timothy 4.11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love and faith, in purity. Okay, set an example in those things. And now Paul fleshes it out even more to tell Timothy explicitly what this example should look like. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And then he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. The pastor is meant to progress in their knowledge, in their study of the Bible. So much so 
that it should be evident to the congregation. Paul says, so that all may see your progress. What Paul is telling Timothy to do is to set an example to the rest of the congregation in his study and labor of the scriptures. They see that in his devotion to it. They hear it in his preaching and teaching of it and from it. This is the role of the pastor. Your church experience, the pastor that you have, though not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, should be someone that is a chief example in your life of knowledge of the Bible, of love for the Bible. And it should be so evident in their life that it is inspirational to you. Now, maybe I, on this, on this show, hopefully, I'm inspirational to you of digging deeper into the Bible and making it more of a priority and enjoying your time in the Bible. Uh, but hopefully, your pastor is even more inspirational to you because I'm only here digitally on a podcast or on uh, the video format of this on, on the website. But your pastor is somebody that you should hopefully um, have a real relationship with, somebody that you see on a regular basis. And this places a high premium on pastoral ministry. Um, This should, if you're a pastor listening to this, hopefully this greatly challenges you um, of what are your sermons? What kind of ministry are you leading? And if you're listening to this as a member of congregation, this should hopefully be a challenge to you of what kind of church am I going to? Is this Bible reading thing just the podcast thing that I like to listen to, or do I think that it's actually supposed to be the centerpiece of my life? Because if it is, then my church experience should agree with that. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope that that's encouraging and challenging to you. And so thanks for listening, and I'll see you on another episode real soon.